Okay, we're not taking a break from our series. In fact, we're, what we're doing is we're just simply going to slow down and, and take another look at this food that we mentioned last week. So just a little bit of review. We, we talked, you know, this image that I keep using, uh, being stuck in like a dark cave, uh, having no hope, finding, like trying for days and days and days and not finding any way out of this, this darkness, any way out of the cave. Um, and then Jesus comes to us with a light because he is the light of the world. And he says to us, I know the way out of here. In fact, I am the way, as we just heard in our gospel. And, and from there, he says, follow me. And he turns, and, and we have to follow him. We have to actually move if we believe him, if we, if we truly have faith in him. And, and from there, what? He leads us out of darkness into his wonderful light, as, as Peter said in our second reading, actually. But then along the way, we're reminded how weak we are because we have no food. We have nothing to drink. And this is, this is the good news, is that he turns to us and he provides for us food, which, of course, we know to be the Eucharist. And this week, we want to slow down and take a really good look at what exactly is going on when we talk about the Eucharist. And not just what is going on when we talk about it, but what does Jesus have in mind? Right? And we know this. We know, we know that, that it's really good for us to pay attention to what we eat physically. If, if we don't pay attention to it, if we're just eating junk food all the time, which... I mean, whatever. I, we know that it's not going to turn out well for our health, right? So when, when Jesus gives us food, it's really important for us to look at it and say, what is it that he's giving to me? So we have kind of three points this morning as, as we, we're going to walk through John chapter 6. The first two points we're going to see are pretty, pretty well intermingled with John chapter 6. This is where Jesus speaks about the Eucharist the most clearly in the Bible, in the Gospels. And then we're going to look at a third point, which is not part of John 6, but it's, it's kind of like a, a, a natural, it has to be a natural result of, of what we're talking about. So the first two points are, are to get a deeper understanding of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this food that he's going to give to us. What exactly is he talking about when he talks about the Eucharist? And the second point is that we're going to see that it's not really optional to eat this food if we want to have eternal life from him. It's not optional. And then the third point is that if, if this food that Jesus gives us doesn't move us to surrender and repentance, then, then we've got a pretty big problem on our hands. But, but with that, we're going we're to go through John chapter 6. We're not going to go verse by, by verse because it's, it's 71 verses long and that would take a really long time. My homilies are already long enough. Uh, but we're going to go section by section and just, just look at what, how, does the, how does the chapter begin and how does that flow into the rest of the chapter. So John chapter 6 begins with one of the most famous miracles of Jesus. Uh, and it's it, part of the reason that it's the most, or among the most famous is that it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Which, surprisingly enough, it's pretty rare that all four of the Gospels have the same miracle recorded in it. There's, there's just, I think, a couple of them, or maybe, maybe three or four, something like that. So the miracle that begins John chapter 6 in verses 1 through 15 is the feeding of the 5,000, right? Where people come to Jesus and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's doing it for a long time and they have no food. And so they're hungry and Jesus says, well, we got to give them food. What do we have? And the disciples say, well, we just have five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. But what's, what's that going to do for, for 5,000 men, not counting the women and children? And from there, Jesus miraculously multiplies the bread and the fish and he feeds them uh, the 5,000 plus the women and children who were there so that it says that they had their fill, right? So it's not like they got just a little bit. Think of like Thanksgiving when they had had their fill. Jesus then says to collect everything that's left over in order that it may not be wasted. And the, the, what they collect left over is 12 baskets full of food. So they end up with way more than they began with. 
And on top of that, they fed thousands of people with this food. And this, this scene shows us, I think, at least three things, three main things, and they're really basic and really simple that, that anyone who reads this could pay attention. The first one is that Jesus can perform miracles. Right? That's, that's a simple thing. Jesus can do miraculous things. And in doing miraculous things, the second point is that he's allowed to break the laws of nature. This is ultimately what a miracle is. It's something that goes beyond what normally happens in a given situation. Jesus can perform miracles, and so because of that, he can break the laws of nature. And then third, we see that he doesn't want his miracles to be wasted. He tells them to collect what's left over so that it may not be wasted. He doesn't, he doesn't want his miracles to be missed on people. And, and we actually even see this take place in the very second scene, the very next thing that takes place in the Gospel of John chapter 6. Uh, Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, and he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. They get into the boat, they row, and, and what happens is there's a sudden storm that takes place on the Sea of Galilee, which this Sea of Galilee is known for this kind of thing, that, that kind of at the drop of a hat, a, 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 a terrible storm can begin. And if you're on the sea when a storm begins, it's not a good situation. What, what happens is Jesus, in the middle of the night, while he's praying, he looks out and apparently he can see his disciples struggling in the, in the sea. And so it says that he walks to them on the water. He walks to them three or four miles, it says. And when he gets there, he says, be not afraid, it is I, because they think they see a ghost. And he's like, no, take courage. It's me, the one that you know. And then when, when he gets to them, he gets in the boat, the wind stops, and suddenly they land on the shore. So again, Jesus can perform miracles. And part of performing miracles, a huge part of it, is breaking the laws of nature. He walks on water. And then he changes the weather just because he wants to. But then, right, he doesn't want his miracle to be wasted. What does he say? Don't be afraid. I'm with you. You don't need to give in to fear. You don't need to give in to anxiety or despair. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Don't live in that place. Right, so these two miracles, which ultimately reveal basically the same thing about Jesus and about what he wants, then leads into the rest of the chapter of John chapter 6, which is the, this really big section called the Bread of Life Discourse. Where, where Jesus speaks very clearly about the Eucharist. So what happens? So first, the people on the other side, the ones who had been fed, they realize Jesus is gone, and so they search him out. They, they come and find him. When they find him, Jesus begins speaking to them about how they're looking for him with the wrong motivations. He's like, you're not looking for me because of who I am. You're looking for me because your stomachs are full, and you want me to feed you again. Right? You're looking at things from, from this sort of human fleshly perspective. You just want me to satisfy your needs rather than recognizing the gift of who I am before you. But instead, I want you to seek the food that leads to eternal life, which I'm going to give you. Right? So do you hear this? Jesus says he's going to give them food that leads to eternal life. And they ask, what, what's the work of God? How, how is it that we can perform the works of God? He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in me. And of course, we know from our, first, our, our second reading, Peter makes a really clear connection between believing in Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. He talks about those who have no faith and how they stumble because they disbelieve, they disobey the word of God. So when Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent, he's saying, this is the work of God, that you would obey me. Because what I'm going to give to you is the food that lasts into eternity. And they say, okay, great, fine. What sign can you do for us? Right? As, as though they forgot that he just performed these miracles, right? But they're like, no, what can you do? Like Moses in the desert, way back in the Old Testament, 
To show that he was sent by God, Moses performed a sign. The sign was that he gave us manna, right? This, when they were in the desert, they woke up every night and they, or every morning and they had this bread-like stuff on the ground, this manna, this miraculous bread that fed them for 40 years while they were in the desert. And they say, Moses gave us bread from heaven. What can you do? And Jesus says, okay, you don't understand. The Father has given you true bread from heaven. And this bread that the Father has given will give life to the world. And then from there, he actually says, and by the way, I am the bread that comes from heaven. I am the bread of life. And he who believes in me, he who obeys me, will have eternal life. From there, they, they, they begin to question because they know Jesus and he's so familiar to them. They say, wait a minute. How can he say that he came from heaven? How can he say that he's going to give us eternal life? Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? Right? They ask this question. Jesus is so familiar that they can't really believe that he came from heaven. They can't really believe that he's going to give eternal life. And Jesus doesn't back down. He says, look, I know there are some among you that, that don't believe this. But in fact, it is only those who are drawn to me by the Father who will believe in me. Only those who are taught by God. Now, as Jesus is, is sharing these things, and, and as we're reading it, we're, it's, it's meant to kind of stir up something inside of us. Because Jesus just said that only those who are drawn to him by the Father, only those who the Father leads to Jesus will believe in Jesus. Only those who are taught by God will believe in Jesus. And only those who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. And so the desire that this is meant to kind of stir up within us is like, oh gosh, like, I want to be brought to Jesus by the Father. Right? In my prayers, I just got to say, God, I need you to bring me to Jesus. I, I want to be taught by you because I want eternal life. I want to believe in him, but only those who are taught by you will believe in him. And so I want you to teach me, God. This is, this is the desire that, that's meant to be brought up within us. And then from there, Jesus says, look, those who ate the bread that Moses provided in the desert, as miraculous as that was, they died. But the one who eats the bread that I give will never die. Which again is, is, is meant to kind of move us to the edge of our seat. Like, I don't, I don't want to die. I want to live forever. What's the bread, Jesus? You just tell me the bread. And then he says in verse 51, the bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And this is where things get a little uncomfortable. Because it's like, wait a minute, what? Jesus, you... The bread that you're going to give to me is your flesh? Like, that doesn't make sense. It's really weird. And, and this is the, the exact response of the people who are listening to Jesus. They're like, wait a minute, what? How, how can he give us his flesh to eat? This doesn't make sense. Like, what? And then listen to what Jesus says in verse 53 and following. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, what he's ultimately saying is like, hey, listen up. That's what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
He goes on to say, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These are strong words from Jesus in the face of discomfort, in the face of disbelief. If you want to have eternal life, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, you have no life in you. That's strong enough as it is, but when you look at the Greek, so I'm not, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, I understand that the Greek words that Jesus uses, trogon and phogon, these words, they mean like to gnaw or nibble. So you must gnaw or nibble on the flesh of Jesus to have eternal life. Again, this is incredibly strong language. And the people who are listening to this pick up on it. It says, actually, in verse 60, it says, many of his disciples. We'll talk more about discipleship in the next couple of weeks. But a disciple is somebody who's committed to Jesus. A disciple is not someone who's just curious about him, but who has given his or her life to Jesus, to following him, to keeping his commandments. And it says that many of his disciples say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Right? And this makes sense. Like, this is, I don't, I don't get this. Who can actually, like, who can believe this? Jesus, the one that we see here in the flesh, he's telling us that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have life. This is, this is really hard. This is really hard. Right now, you can, you can imagine from someone who's listening to this, if they think that Jesus is speaking figuratively or symbolically, like, like that you just have to eat something that, that represents my body or something that, that seems like it could be my flesh, right? If he's just speaking figuratively, that's not the response that they're going to have. It's like, okay, this is hard, but maybe we can work our way around it somehow. But they understand that he's speaking literally. This is why they say this is hard. Who can listen to it? And Jesus, he doesn't back down. He doesn't say like, okay, let me explain what's going on. No, he says, actually, I understand that some of you aren't going to believe this because you're thinking of it from a human fleshly perspective. I'm speaking from the perspective of God and what I've spoken is true. And so I know that some of you aren't going to believe it, but there's, there's not much I can do about that. Right? He doesn't explain it away, but instead he stands firm where he's at. And he stands so firm and their disbelief is so strong that it actually says in John chapter 6, verse 66. So John 6, 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Do you hear this? Because of what Jesus is teaching about the Eucharist, many of his disciples left him. They abandoned him. They stopped following his ways. They stopped keeping his commandments. They stopped pursuing the eternal life that he comes to give. They understand that he's speaking literally. Now you can imagine, again, if you're Jesus and you're not speaking literally, you can imagine if you're Jesus and you're just speaking in figurative, like, like a parable language, and you see your people walking away from you, what are you going to do? You're going to say, no, hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me explain. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Like, I'm just speaking in a figurative kind of way. Let me, let me just hold on. But instead, he doesn't do that. Instead, what does he do? He lets them go. And he actually, he turns to the 12, his 12 apostles, his closest friends, and the very men upon which he's going to build his church, the foundation stones for his church. He turns to them and he says, Will you also go away? 
See, he's showing them, like, I'm, I'm not changing this. I don't, I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to walk away, but I'm prepared that if you're going to leave, I'm not changing. Will you also go away? And what's the response of the apostles? It's the only response that's ultimately worthwhile, which is surrender. Peter gets up and he speaks on behalf of the 12. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? He doesn't say, he doesn't say, no, this makes total sense, Jesus. Like, I don't get why they're leaving. It doesn't make sense, right? He doesn't say that. He says, look, where else were we going to go? Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you, and we want to go to the Father. And so as hard as this saying might be, as hard as this teaching is that you're talking about, where else would we go, Jesus? We're committed to you. Even in your difficult teachings, even as you teach about how we need to eat your flesh and drink your blood, we're committed to you, Jesus. Right, so do you see this when we talk about the Eucharist, right? Because ultimately, what do we see at the Last Supper? Jesus takes bread. This is my body. He takes the chalice of wine. This is the chalice of my blood, right? That, that somehow he changes the bread and the wine into the real presence of his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Even though it still looks and smells and tastes and feels like bread and wine, we believe that at the Last Supper, Jesus is fulfilling his command that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. So that when you come forward to receive communion, if you're able to receive communion, if you're in a state of grace, if you've been to confession, if you've repented of your sins, when you come forward, you're not receiving bread and wine. You're, not, you're receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, which is fully present even in the one species of the host. This is what we believe as Catholic Christians. And for that matter, we believe that our Protestant brothers and sisters don't have this. Do you see what a gift it is for us to come together to offer our worship in the Mass and to receive Holy Communion? Do you see the incredible generosity of Jesus who doesn't just like speak to us words, he does speak to us, but who gives us his body, his blood, his soul and divinity in the Holy Eucharist? Do you see how generous this is? And this is the third point here, that if this doesn't move you to surrender and repentance, I don't know what will. And I know that I've been, I've been talking about up here for, for weeks about how we need to surrender to Jesus. And yet I know there are some of you that, that aren't. I know that I've been talking up here for weeks about how we need to repent of our sins, to confess our sins to a priest, to amend our life, to turn away from sin. And I know that some of you, when you hear this, you just dig your heels in. I know that some of you don't come forward to receive Holy Communion, and rightfully so, because you haven't been to confession, or you, you aren't ready to amend your lives, or you aren't converting. If this doesn't bring you to a place of conversion, I don't know what will. And this isn't about me trying to strong arm you into repentance. This isn't about me trying to guilt you into going to confession. This is about Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, standing in front of you with his hands wide open, saying to you, I am literally giving you everything that I have because I love you that much, because you're that important to me. Will you not let yourself be moved by me? Will you not let yourself be changed by my love and grace? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus yet? To Jesus and his church?